to the wider leadership team here at Jubilee. And um, can you hear me okay? Is it breaking out a bit? Okay, um, and this morning we're starting a new preaching series exploring the book of Jonah. Now, um, some of us might be familiar um, with this story, and for others, for others it would be new for you. But my hope is that your hearts will be open today to hear what God wants to say to us today and over the coming weeks as we dig. Is this going to be muted? Yep, okay. As we dig into this short but powerful book. Now, the book itself, it can be found in the Old Testament, and it sits in between the books of Obadiah and Micah. Now, um, Jonah was a prophet, and unlike other prophetic books in the Bible, which center on prophecies, this is a book that tells us about the prophet himself. Now, Jonah is often known as the prophet who ran away from God. But the phrase prophets running from God, it doesn't seem to kind of make sense, does it? It seems a bit odd. We think of and prophets as people who are sent by God to people, not those who are running away from him. So over the next three weeks, we'll be exploring and hearing more about why Jonah ran away, where he ran away to, and what happened when he ran. Now, in popular culture, Jonah's story is sometimes treated as a bit of a myth, or a bit of a fable, and as Christians, sometimes it's not the book we would immediately normally go to to study. And some of us, we may know this story as one that children might enjoy. Um, some of us might have enjoyed it as children, ourselves, and you know, it's quite a dramatic story. It's, um, it's short, it's um, four chapters long, and it's literally just a couple of pages long. And it captures the imagination. We might have recognized some of these you know, pictures like this as we were younger. But the book is not just a story. It is God's word to us. And this book wasn't just written for children. It's written for all of us. It has powerful truths for all of us to learn about God and his heart towards us, as well as our hearts towards God. So we'll hear about the relentless grace and mercy of our God who wants to rescue us and restore us. And we'll see how this book points to our Lord Jesus, the one who said yes to come and save us. And as we explore this story, we'll realize that we have more in common with Jonah than we might think. So before we delve in, let's pray. Lord, as we hear your word this morning, would you, would you open our hearts to hear what you are saying to us both corporately and individually, and that we may live in the light of your grace and your goodness towards us. Amen. So, to help us unpack Jonah, chapter one, this morning, I have three points. And the first one is this. We're all called to love and obey God. Now, Jonah was a prophet, and he came from a place called Galilee. And prophets were chosen by God to tell people about him and speak on his behalf. So, this would include tasks like revealing the nature and the attributes of God, and calling um, people to repentance and to obedience to God, and foretelling future events which God had planned. So fittingly, the book of Jonah starts with God giving Jonah a mission to do. So in Jonah 1, um, chapter, um, Jonah 1 verses 1 to 2, it says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. 
announce my judgment against it because I have seen just how wicked its people are. Now, Nineveh was the large capital city of Assyria, and it was located in what is now known as modern-day Iraq. So when God called this city great, he wasn't referring to it being great in that way. He was referring to its size. It was a great, populous city. Now, Nineveh was also well-known for its wickedness and its pagan ways, but God showed mercy towards them. So mercy is God not punishing us as our sins deserve, and grace is God blessing us despite the fact that we do not deserve it. So instead of, of immediately punishing Nineveh for their wickedness, God decided to send Jonah to give them a second chance, a chance to repent and turn to him. God saw their wickedness and yet still he wanted to save them. But instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah had other ideas. So in verse 3, we're told this, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for a place called Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So although Jonah was a prophet, he really wasn't in tune with God at this point. Instead of obeying God, Jonah fled to Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. And it was in the complete opposite direction. In fact, it was the most remote place available for Jonah to get to. Somehow, with all of the knowledge and experience that he had of God, it didn't connect with his heart and his behavior. And at this point of the story, it doesn't tell us the reasons why Jonah didn't want to go. But the point is here is that he disobeyed God. He knew what the right thing was to do, but he didn't do it. And we can be like this too. We know of God's truths in our head, but somehow it doesn't connect with our heart and our behavior. And as disciples, we're to be learners and appliers of God's truth, which then changes our thinking and our direction and our character. If we're not receiving from him, we're receiving from somewhere else. And that gives room to sin in our lives, which harms our relationship with God. So knowing about God and knowing what he says isn't enough. We may have had powerful encounters with God in the past, but the key is that we stay close to him, apply his word, and love and obey him. As his word is a lamp to our feet. Um, it just puts me in mind of something that happened um, some, so a few uh, months ago. Um, I was, one evening, I was walking out with some friends. We were walking along, and um, it was pretty dark. And as we were walking, it was pretty hard to see where we were going. And we'd been walking for a while. And then when we were almost home, one of my friends realized that he had a torch in his pocket all along. And this was no normal torch. It was a pretty high-tech torch. And for some reason, maybe he forgot it was there, but we didn't use it. And if we know about the truth, but don't apply it and allow it to change us, it's like that. It's like walking around in the dark with a torch in our pocket. Jonah would have been mature in his knowledge of God. So even as we grow in God, we're challenged to remember that the purpose of knowing God and knowing his word is not just to have more knowledge or have more information. It's that we can love and obey God more. But here we find Jonah in disobedience. 
So when he went to Joppa and found there was a ship going to Tarshish, he must have thought that his plan for escape was coming together pretty nicely. A ship just in time. Jonah thought he could go on the run from God, but he was soon to find out that that isn't possible. It's not possible for us to hide from God. God's love for us is so strong. It's so present. It's so personal. And it's inescapable. God is all-knowing and he's all-seeing. But Jonah had forgotten this truth, or maybe he just didn't know it. Psalm 139, verse 7, says this. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. And God says in Jeremiah 23, 24, can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth, says the Lord? Whether in obedience or disobedience, we cannot hide or escape from God. And in Jonah's case, he attempted to physically escape. But regardless of whether we, we try and physically escape or not, all of our escapes start in the heart. When we don't agree with God, we're not living in the fullness of all he has for us. As for Jonah, God's mission for him was not to his comfort or his liking. And like him, sometimes we're caught up in our own comforts or living in the way we've always lived. And this holds us back from walking in the perfect will of God. Isaiah 55, 8-9 reminds us of this. It says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As we submit to God, we then pry our fingers away from our own agendas and our own ideas and our own comforts in order to follow his ways. So when we are able to step over our own opinions and embrace God's vision, we see that his ways are always righteous, complete, and good for us. And our response to him has to be, yes, Lord. Jonah was on the run, but there was nowhere for him to hide. And this leads me to my second point, that God is Lord of all. So, we're at this point in the, in the story where Jonah is on the ship. He's heading in the opposite direction. He's on his way to Nineveh, and he thinks he's escaping from God. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm escaping. I'm on the run. However, in the next few verses of the chapter, we are shown the full and complete sovereignty of God as he creates and works through all things to bring about his purposes. We see him working through people. We see him working through nature. Verse 4 says to us, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatens to break apart the ship. So here, we see how it is the Lord who hurled the wind and caused a violent storm. They didn't just happen by themselves. God was showing Jonah that he couldn't run from him and that God will accomplish all that he wanted to. So sometimes we blame the enemy for things that are happening to us but sometimes it's just the loving discipline of our God. 
or just sometimes the consequences of our sinful behavior. But God's discipline always comes with a rescue. And we'll see this play out in, for Jonah later on in this, in this book. So you see, God was pursuing Jonah to bring him back on course because sin always takes us off the course that God has for us. God is completely sovereign, controlling all of Jonah's circumstances and all of our circumstances, as all wisdom and all might belong to our God. And even when things feel chaotic, and especially these days, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And we see this in action throughout the book of Jonah. So as the storm is raging on, if you just imagine this chaos that's going on, the story continues in verse 5. So fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods to help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. So, you know, I'm imagining it's pretty chaotic and it's quite terrifying scenes. These sailors have probably done this route with no incident loads of times and suddenly there's a vicious storm. There's complete fear, there's panic and commotion as they're throwing stuff overboard. But in all this pandemonium, where's Jonah? Sound asleep, having a nap. I wonder how many times we've done the same. Maybe it's not a literal sleep, but there are many ways to sleep when God is pursuing us. When we are in disobedience, it dulls our spiritual hearing. It is like a block, and we can't hear or see clearly. It's like we're stumbling around in the dark instead of heading towards the light of God's truth. It's like we're spiritually sleeping. Disobedience makes us asleep to the call of God. It could be something that he wants us to do, or something he wants us to stop, or a turn he is asking us to take, or one that he wants us to avoid. It is in the enemy's interest to keep us asleep, as the enemy does not want Christians who are awake and praying. But God, in his mercy, will keep seeking to get our attention, to wake us up. And we see this as the captain goes down to tell Jonah to wake up and pray. The captain, who didn't know God himself, but knew that they were in big trouble. And prayer was the answer. And he wasn't about to stand by and just let Jonah sleep. Now, we don't know whether Jonah prayed at this point. But it is a reminder to us that no matter how deep the trouble is that we find ourselves in, God is waiting with open arms for us to call out to him. Meanwhile, the sailors, the other sailors, were trying to figure out what or who had caused this drama to befall them. And they realized it was Jonah. So when they confronted him to find out more information, Jonah answered, yes, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Jonah had woken up. He knew exactly what was happening and why. And he'd already told the sailors that he was on the run from God, so they realized what was happening too. So the sailors ask, why did you do it? 
ground. What should we do to you to stop this storm? And Jonah replies, throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. But Jonah accepted his guilt for his sin and felt he must sacrifice himself in the storm as an act of submission to God and to save the sailors. He knew that by him going in the sea would calm the storm. Before throwing Jonah in the sea, the sailors cried out to God, Oh Lord, don't make us die for this man's sin, they said, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. As the sailors asked that they don't die for Jonah's sin, we're reminded of Jesus, the innocent, sinless Lamb of God, who sacrificed himself for our sin in a different kind of storm that God had ordained, the cross at Calvary. And this leads me to the final point that I have for you today, is that our God is a God who saves. So by this point, Jonah had taken responsibility for his sin and had realized that God was pursuing and disciplining, dis disciplining him. God had hurled this storm to stop him in his tracks and to show his power. But then it was time for Jonah to go into the sea. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him again. So the sailors, who didn't know God before, were in gobsmacked awe. You can just imagine, there was a raging sea, they threw Jonah in and it just stopped. They saw God's power at work and it brought about salvation to them. How amazing. This sign and wonder brought these men to God. Meanwhile, Jonah's sacrifice had satisfied and quieted this storm. And then we get to a part of the story that many of us might be quite familiar with. In Jonah 1.17, it says this, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, one thing to notice here, there is no mention of any whale. Um, in popular culture, um, our fish here has been depicted as a whale, but we don't know for sure if it was a whale because the Bible doesn't say it's a whale. So for me, it's a fish. So I just to lay that there. But what we can see is that God is in complete control of the situation, commanding the sea and all that's in it, including the fish. Can you imagine Jonah's complete shock as he was gulped by this huge fish? Now, the last thing he knew, he was sinking further and further into the sea, crying out to God, and then suddenly he finds himself alive and in the belly of a fish. Whoa, that's, that's quite something. God had prepared and directed this fish to the right place and to the right time to save and protect Jonah. God's love didn't fail Jonah, and his love never fails us. Despite what Jonah had done, God still rescued him. So as we come to the very end of chapter one of Jonah, 
The final line of it points us to Jesus and his rescuing love for us. Jonah 1, chapter, chapter, Jonah chapter 1, 17 says this, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Just as Jesus resurrected after three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for the same period of time. Later in the New Testament book of of, book of Matthew, Jesus confirmed that Jonah's story was indeed a historical fact, not a fable, not a myth, and one that pointed to himself as the Messiah, the rescuer. That when the ruling class of Israel was questioning Jesus and asking him to provide a sign that he was the Messiah, the rescuer, Jesus replied to them in Matthew 12, 39-41. Matthew 12, 39-41. He said this, The only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. But as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus used Jonah's story to predict his own death. And we know that after three days and three nights, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. As Jonah's sacrifice calmed the raging sea of his own sin, it points to Jesus' selfless sacrifice for our sins. By sending his son to die in our place on the cross, God satisfied his own wrath against our sin. Jesus paid the debt that we owed. Through the cross, there is grace, forgiveness, and restoration for all that trust in Jesus, our true saviour. The Jonah points to Jesus, and Jesus points to Jonah. Maybe some of us are running away from God right now and hiding from God. But instead of hiding and running from him, we can run to him. Whatever you have done or not done, his grace is sufficient and free for you today. Our God, who extended his grace and mercy to the wicked people of Nineveh, still extends his grace and mercy to anyone who will repent and trust in him through Jesus. So whatever happened yesterday, today is a new day. His mercies are new every single morning. We can turn to God and find acceptance in him. So finally, in this chapter, we've heard how Jonah was a chosen prophet. And we also see that even as a prophet, he, his need for grace, mercy, and salvation. How much more us, whether we're new Christians or mature Christians like Jonah, we still sin and fall short. But because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, we can live in the freshness of God's forgiveness, grace, and power. In Jonah, we see how God's love for us is relentless. And as we open the Bible, it's like an enormous love letter, because that is what the Bible is to us. It is a love letter to us from God. If we come to it with that perspective, we will grow in love and obedience to God. We can trust in him completely and his saving love for us. We may not fully understand God's ways or his plan for us individually all the time, but we have to believe that above everything else that God 
knows what he is doing. And from my experience, there is peace that comes with that belief. We must hold on to what God says to us. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this to us, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight because we may not understand something until we get to the other side of it. We might not get to understand it at all. But we have to hang on. We have to hang on to God, knowing he is faithful, knowing he is good, knowing we can trust him. And throughout, we can get, you know, we can confide in our godly friends and get support from others in our growth groups when the going gets tough. Often in our journey with God, what he calls us to may not be comfortable for us. But when we agree with God, regardless of our comforts, we receive strength. We receive grace to stand firm in what he's calling us to. Also in Jonah, we see that rebellion has consequences, not only for us personally, but for others too. Essentially, like Jonah, we are a sent people on a mission. But if we are not listening and being shaped by God, we may not reach who we're meant to or do what we're meant to. God may be stirring your hearts and your attention to our plans in North Hull, or for you to step out and befriend a colleague or a neighbor, or to serve in the life of the church. Knowing about God isn't enough. Our hearts must be open to him for him to shape us, so that we can live to the full in him. God didn't make a mistake when he chose Jonah. God chooses ordinary people like you and like me that he may do the extraordinary through us. He chose young David, the shepherd, to defeat the giant Goliath. He chose Moses, who had once killed someone, to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. The book of Jonah teaches us that God loves all people and desires, us, and desires to show us all mercy when we turn to him. God is in the business of transforming people, and that applies to you and to me. He takes people with unique gifts and personalities as well as their weaknesses, and the story of Jonah shows us that. At this point, I'd like the, um, the worship team to come back up. <laughs> 